Good morning, Big Woods Online. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Our text will be found in verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. We will read those verses in just a moment. Unique times the Lord has called us to minister in. Um, we've been here before, and God continues to reign and rule in complete sovereignty on the throne. And so we look forward to being together in person again. Before we go any further, it is more than appropriate. I know that many people are struggling, and so we will go before the throne of grace in prayer and ask for God to strengthen, to heal, but also encourage hearts through the preaching of his word this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for the wonderful reminder that this is momentary, what is before us. But we so look forward the time that we are with you, worshiping you for all eternity. We thank you, Lord, for your word that is before us and the promise that it never returns void. And so we ask and we invite right now for the Holy Spirit in whatever setting or place the church that is spread, spread around, spread apart, that you would speak and encourage hearts and strengthen hearts. Father, we do lift up a number of people who are ailing physically that, that you would heal, that you would restore them. Father, we ask, Lord, that we would be faithful in this chapter in time that you've called us to, to be a church, that we would, we would do it well. Father, I personally just plead for help, give clarity of thought and mind and speech. May, may everything that is said... Everything that is done be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this now in the amazing and wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. It has been several weeks since we've been in the book of Romans, celebrating Easter last week. And by way of review, we, we have looked at and we have learned about the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are declared righteous. And then what happens as we yield to the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God, we witness the wonder of sanctification. The Holy Spirit truly setting us apart and making us holy. That is what Christ does. Now, now, who are we? We are what? We are no longer servants to sin or slaves to sin and slaves to the law, but we have been set free to serve in, in joyfulness, pursuing holiness. And it's a simple truth that I want to remind you that, that we don't overthink it. We don't confuse it. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. We just simply enjoy what God has done, what he has taught us through his word. Simple, glorious truth. This week I was very excited 
to call and talk to our oldest grandson, who had just returned from a very special trip to celebrate um, his daddy's 30th birthday. He, he flew to Florida. He had two of his uncles with him. And so this was really his first official guy's trip. Upon return, I, I called him. I asked him, so, so Denson, how was it? He said, oh, pop, pop. He said, we drank soda in the swimming pool. I was like, like how, about, like, how about the plane ride and how about the beach? He says, no, no, no. We drank soda in the swimming pool. You know, I thought about it. It's, it's, really, it's really the simple things. Sometimes we look for something huge, something momentous, and it's simple truth that we are given. Paul has explained for us the doctrine of justification. He has pressed upon us. The necessity of sanctification. Now what? Just, just enjoy that. Just, just drink soda in the swimming pool when it comes to that truth. Be comforted. We need that. I need that. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 40 writes, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. You, you realize that? It is the will of a sovereign God that you and I should be comforted. We just need to be reminded of the truth of his justification, his sanctification in our lives. Now you have heard this and you've been taught this. I've taught this that all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Which means that all of the word of God has value. All of the Bible is important, but there's some texts that, that I believe deserve more than a mere mention. Romans chapter 8 is one of those texts. We are just going to pause, basking and bathe in the beauty of this chapter for several weeks. A couple weeks ago, we know that Gene Byer taught... The, the, the guys in the preaching lab call him Uncle Gene, and, and I, and I kind of like that. I think that's appropriate. Uncle Gene taught what? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is such good news. That is great news. Why? Why is that such good news? Because the Word of God, the Bible, never shies away from the truth that you and I are born into the bondage of pain and sin and death. We experience that all the time. The Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that we are fallen in our nature. We are cursed in our soul. Therefore, God, it is complete holiness, is just in condemning sinners. Although the, the world hears that, and what they are in complete shock of any thoughts of a wrathful God. But the truth remains. Just as the word of God makes very clear every human being is a descendant of Adam. We have all inherited his fallen nature. We know that every true believer, every follower of Christ is what? A spiritual descendant of Jesus, God's own son. Therefore, we have been adopted into his family and we are heirs of God. It says what? Co-heirs with Christ. Therefore, we can and we should rejoice in that verse. 
The Latin actually translates that's that one word, therefore there is now no damnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Gene, Uncle Gene did a great job encouraging us. Reminding us and comforting us with that truth. Today, our goal is to build on that. To hold tight to it, but also build upon that wonderful truth. That beautiful truth. Our text is before us. Romans chapter 8. I'll pick it up in verse 1. I'll be reading from the ESV. The word should be there on your screen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now just very, very briefly again, kind of holding on to this truth that we're building upon. Paul writes, there is therefore now, we just stop on that one word now. That's present tense. It means here and now. It refers to the present time or current moment. And this is important. Why? Because we know and we've experienced this. Sin stings. Sin hurts and destroys and deceives. And sin cuts and wounds, and bruises, and the enemy loves to paralyze you by whispering lies of remember what you did that time, remember what you said, and yet Christ has set us free from that. In the midst of what the pain and destruction around us, the sun rises and light what warms and shines brightly, drenching the darkness with that one word, now. It speaks of the transition from the horror and the horribleness of what was to the blessing of what is. Regardless of any sin, regardless of any transgression, any stupid thing that you and I have ever, ever done, there is therefore now no condemnation. Christians, we rejoice in this truth that we move beyond condemnation. With that one word now that means that it speaks of even in the future. On Thursday, when you think something that you should not think, when you do something, when you, when you look at something that, that on Thursday, it's still now present tense. It's a wonderful reminder that we speak about here. One of the most beautiful and comforting texts in all of Scripture about the assurance of our salvation. It's the, the P in the TULIP acronym for perseverance or preservation of the saints. That is the power that exists in that one verse. Now we look this morning at why. Like why? Why is there no condemnation? Number one. We expand upon that. It says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free 
in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It, it begins with that one word, for, for the law. For is what? For you kind of English scholars and majors, uh, you grammar geeks, forgive me, that are out there. For is a conjunction. It basically means what? Because or for this reason, there is no condemnation. Now here it is. What is the reason? The law of the spirit of life has set you free. Now I want you to notice, I think you see it pretty clearly in the text. Two times the word law is used. It says what? The, the law of the spirit of life. And then it says the law of sin and death. Now what I want you to note this morning is that that's not a reference, okay, to Old Testament Mosaic law that was used repeatedly in chapter 7. Remember when Matt preached about the law? Instead, this is, we can look at the word law as a principle. This is how it works. This is how it operates. Think about the law of gravity. We know in Romans chapter 3 we spoke of the law of faith. This is how it works. Those who believe in Jesus are delivered from being what? Condemned. Delivered from being damned based upon the new law of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was able to do something that the old law could not do. So hold on to this. Remember this. The power of sin has been broken by the power of the Spirit. The power of sin has been broken by the power of the spirits. We know, we have looked at and learned that the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, the moral law could not justify. The Old Testament law could not sanctify. The old law could not free us from guilt and from the power of sin. It certainly could not pardon us by grace through faith. The law was what? The law made nothing perfect. The law had limitations. The law, in many ways, was weak. However, what? Great news. Great news. Great comfort in knowing that the law, the principle, the way the Spirit works sets you free. You ever noticed this before? How much of what you and I try to do in our own strength fails miserably. Whenever, whenever we say something like this, I'm never going to fill in the blank again. I'm never going to, I'm never going to talk like that again. I'm never going to look, look at that again. I'm, I'm never going to, to think like that again. I'm never going to hunger or thirst after that that is destructive or... Damn it, I'm never going to do it again. And you don't. For about 30 minutes, maybe. And you don't for maybe, maybe, maybe 30 hours, 30 days. But what? But you and I know when we do this, we just totally, totally, I surrender. We totally submit. We totally give up to the power of the Holy Spirit admitting, I can't. I, I cannot do it. 
but he can. That what, what happens? Boom. There is victory. There, there is hope where there was no longer hope. There was joy where there was no longer joy. There is increased and ever-increasing faith. There was increased and ever-increasing strength. Why, why is there no condemnation? Because what? The law of the Spirit has set you free, has done something that you and I simply cannot do. Number two, how, how does this work? How is there no condemnation? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. How, how is there no condemnation? Because a representative was given. A, a substitute was sent. Someone stepped in. Now, now, just pause for a moment on that word substitute. Substitute. And I think, and I want to be careful here because I know we have a lot of educators as part, and even our history of big ones. There's been always a lot of school teachers, professors. I want to be careful here, but if you and I really think about the word substitute, for some reason we kind of automatically go to substitute teacher. And we have all experienced this before. I think we would probably all agree that a sub, we got a sub today, a, a temporary fill-in for what? For like the real deal. And it is, it is what? It is a tough gig. A sub doesn't really know the students. A substitute doesn't know the material. A substitute doesn't know the, the system. And they, they walk into the classroom hoping maybe to find an organized lesson plan. But it's tough. I remember fifth grade, our goal was when we had a substitute that, that she had to be in tears by the end of the day. We were going to be so difficult for her. And it actually happened on several occasions why because in our minds oftentimes when we think of sub or substitute we think of less than but in this context not so that that is not the case matter of fact the substitute that was sent is actually far better is overqualified able to do what ephesians 3 says what far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. What is it? What is it that this substitute can do? What is it that the substitute has done that is far more? Pay very, very close attention to the wording here. It's very important. We just read this a, a minute ago. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the likeness of sinful flesh. Not sinful. He is holy, perfectly holy. He is perfect. He is undefiled. But yet in the likeness, he looked like he had skin. Flesh and blood and bone, just like sinful flesh. He took on our nature that was corrupt, but he was never 
corrupted. And that's hard to think of. It's hard to wrap our minds around the deity, core doctrine of Jesus Christ. Perfectly human, but perfect without sin. The eighth day when he was circumcised, he bled. He was human. When he was baptized by John and the Jordan, he, he got wet. When he was hungry, his, his stomach growled. When he was thirsty, his tongue got parched. And yet he is totally, totally God. He was present as what? Creation was spoken into existence. I like to think of it like this. Jesus, when he got hungry, he never got hangry the way that you and I do. He never sinned. He was never sinning. Our sub looked like us, but better. He didn't respond the way that we would. He was perfect. Therefore, he was and is the only one who could ever be condemned in our place. I'm enjoying, enjoying reading Matthew Henry probably now more in my kind of season of life than ever before. What Matthew, Matthew Henry does to explain this is he goes back to a chapter in Israel's history, in Numbers chapter 21, and he says this. Listen very carefully. The, the bitings of the fiery serpents were cured by a serpent of brass, which had the shape though free from the venom of the serpents that bit them. It was great condensation that he who was God should be made in the likeness of flesh, but much greater than he who was holy should be made in the likeness of sinful flesh. You see, you and I could never, ever, ever have done that. Think, think for a moment in your mind of the most righteous person that you personally have ever met who, who is that like they're just they're up at 4 a.m and they're on their knees in prayer and the memory like who is that person clara savage carl faulkner jerry brower richard gregory names just come to mind wow they are so righteous not righteous enough according to scripture because there's only one who died so you could live. There's only one who suffered so you didn't have to. Later, later in this very chapter, and there's so much here, so we will just pause. We'll see the splendor and the wonder of what it means in verse 34. Who, who is to condemn? Question mark. Who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, all because of Jesus, the greatest substitute, who came, lived, died, and rose again. Because of that, we are free. Reminded of, sometimes the... When we think about something like, this is good. This is really, really good. Until what? Until you taste the great. Yesterday in our church history, there was a wedding celebration. 
that we rejoice with the union of Halen and clay. And, and at a wedding celebration, always describes what? And I always speak about the fact that a marriage is a holy estate that Christ adorned and beautified with his presence and first miracle that he wrought in Cana of Galilee. That's John chapter 2. And we always think about the fact that a wedding celebration, a wedding feast has what? Great wine. But what happens when you run out? And that's what happened. And then Jesus turns the water into wine and what? And they drink. Wow, we've never tasted it so good. We thought this was good. This is unbelievable. You see, that's what. You see, our substitute, the second Adam, Jesus accomplished far more and far better than the first Adam ever could. Praise God. Praise God. For that truth. Thirdly and finally, what is the result of living with no condemnation? So, so, so what? We ask. What does this matter? What does this mean? What is the result of living with no condemnation? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk. Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What happens? We, we, as, we as the body of Christ, a local church at Big Woods Bible Church in Little Lock Haven, central Pennsylvania, we acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We surrender and submit to him on a daily basis to him as Lord. And what happens? We, we, we walk different than other people walk. We, we talk different. We talk about different things. We talk about the cross. We talk about what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. We live different than other people live. It's fact. And yet, for some reason, I'm, I'm always struck when I hear a line like this. I hear, I hear a phrase, a sentence. I hear something like this. I, I, think, I think she's a Christian. But you know, I'm not really sure. We've all heard that. I, I, you know what? I think he might be a believer. And I'm kind of struck with that. Hey, have, you ever, have you ever heard of this? Let me give you a little bit of wisdom this morning. Here it is. If it looks like a duck, and it swims like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, then it's probably a, a duck. It's what? It's a test on the power of observation. Paul actually concludes this little section with a description of those whom what? The righteous requirement of the law has been applied to. And he explains how they live. Or specifically, how they walk. They don't walk according to the flesh. They just don't do that. They walk according to... The Spirit, well, what, what, what does that look like? What are the character, character traits, what are the characteristics of the Spirit? What, what is evident that one is what controlling an individual? We have learned this. We've taught this in Ephesians chapter 5. There's a list for us in verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
And so we begin to say, well, is one who has had the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in their life? They're no longer condemned. Is there love that is present? Is there joy and peace? It's very obvious. It's to me. How about, how about are they patience? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does it mean that we're never, ever going to struggle in any one of these areas? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that we know that when we blow it, we come back around right away. Lord, forgive me. But we are known in our character traits and our characteristics. What? The Holy Spirit is, is alive in us, is at work in us, is power within us. And you can contrast that. To this that is given earlier in Ephesians chapter 5. The works of the flesh are very evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things, what, will not inherit the kingdom of God. My dear brothers and sisters, it's not kind of clear. It's not pretty clear. It's not almost clear. It is very clear. This is what it looks like when one lives knowing you are no longer condemned. Because you have faith and trust in the only one who could be and was condemned so you don't have to be. Drink the soda in a swimming pool and relax in that simple truth. Which, which walk describes your life right now? I think, that's, I think it's appropriate. I think it's fitting. I think it's a perfect point of application. Are you walking according to the flesh? Or are you walking according to the Spirit? What, what does it look like? What is the result right now of you personally? It doesn't matter about the past. We know that now there is no condemnation. What, what is the result of you living with no condemnation? Is there love that is evident and present in your life? Is there joy? Is there peace? Do other people know? Do they point at you and, you, and say, yeah, he has been set free. She walks with her head up knowing she's not perfect. She's forgiven. Are you showing? Are you sharing? Are you inviting other people to know that they too can be set free from any condemnation through the Lord Jesus Christ? We have to realize that Romans chapter 8 deserves more than a mere mention here. It teaches us how to get up every single day. It teaches us how to breathe. How to walk and to live according to the Spirit. That is so needed in a world where so many people are hurting. So many people are, are terrified. So many people are in need of good news. You and I have been given this truth. 
to be a blessing, to encourage, to strengthen. It is alive, it is quick and powerful. But we've also been given this truth to share with others. I would encourage you this week. I, I know that we're not able to gather, but I would encourage you, maybe through social media, maybe through a phone call or a text, to find someone that you know. They are struggling. They are not walking according to the Spirit. They're, they are struggling. They are hurting and walking in the flesh, knowing that they have been condemned and deserve the very worst. Encourage them with the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Encourage them with the good news, reminding them what Jesus has done, that which we simply could not do. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we are just amazed at who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence with us that, that although distant, joins us together. We are family. Brothers and sisters, and you are our heavenly father. I pray right now specifically for those that are just crumbling under a weight of condemnation. Allow us to speak into their lives. Use us however you see fit. May your kingdom be extended for your glory. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.